0: So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you.
1: Thank you, great to see you everybody. I don't know whether you have a garden and whether you're into gardening. I have a bit of a kind of love-hate relationship with gardening. There's certain parts of gardening that I love. I'm kind of really into the planting side. Uh, This time last year, I noticed that in the previous spring, our garden was devoid of any color. So I went to the uh, garden shop and loaded up the car with tons and tons of bulbs. I bought this massive sack must have been about a couple of hundred daffodils. By the time I'd planted number 100, my keenness for planting was was reducing. But nonetheless, this spring 2016, we had a wonderful display of color. I appreciated the benefits of the planting. I'm also not too bad at watering when we need to water summer bedding. There's one bit of gardening that I hate, weeding, weeding. Karen is into weeding big time. And so from time to time, on a Saturday, she'll gently most of the time say, we need to do some weeding. And so we get into the weeding, and I don't know whether it's just me, but I have a long standing hatred of dandelions. Those deep rooted monsters and brambles are even worse. But, and I don't know about you, but I'm often tempted to take a shortcut and just chop it off when no one's looking. When Karen's not looking, (laughs) but I know that if I don't, if I don't do the hard work of work of digging up those little beasties, next year they're just going to grow up and spread all over without any help. If I'm really honest, I love the the fruit and the blessing of a garden. I sometimes struggle a bit with the hard work it takes. To actually, manage the garden, and I, I don't know about you, but I've been thinking recently just sometimes it take, seems to take a lot of effort and a lot of intentionality to keep my life in order. Anyone else find that maybe it's an age thing? I don't know, but I find that I have to be intentional, I have to make choices often on a daily basis to keep my life in order, and even That applies to my spiritual life, too. You see, our lives are a little bit like a garden. Uh, We've got areas in our lives where there are weeds and stuff that need pulling out, and sometimes it takes effort to pull them out, and then there are glorious fruits of the Holy Spirit that need tending and watering. I don't know about you, but I want to live up to the glorious destiny that God has for my life. And I know that, therefore, I have to partner with the Holy Spirit, and sometimes I have to make an extra effort to choose to change. And as we look at this passage today that I've entitled, New Life, New Lifestyle, it's amazing to me who Paul is writing to. He's writing to born-again Christians. For those of us who were around a couple of years ago on the Transformed Life series, We looked at just how amazing our salvation is in Christ. How when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive in Christ. He seated us with him in heavenly places. We've been made new. We're new creations. And you can think, well, if we're new and we're that saved, what more is there to do? And of course, there's a lot more to do because we have to actively cooperate with the Spirit. If you like, we've been given a complete makeover the garden of our lives. But we still have to sometimes attend to weeds. We sometimes have, still have to water the good things in our lives because if we don't, there will be a tendency to chaos and disorder in our lives. Hence, when Paul starts this section, if you were tracking through the reading here, notice the passion. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. There's nothing passive here. Paul's pretty emotional. He's pretty passionate. He says, I insist on it in the Lord. As we said a few weeks ago. He doesn't say, well, now you're a Christian, just let go and let God. He says, I insist on it. There's something that we need to give our very best to. What's he insisting on? That you no longer live as the Gentiles do. Let me update it for us. He's saying, you were once living a certain way. Don't go back and live that way. Do you think it's interesting? He's having to write it to Christians who are born again, spirit-filled, got the power of God in them, and seated with Christ in heavenly places, and yet he says, I have to tell you, I have to remind you, don't go back, Um, and we could broaden it and say, don't live like the surrounding culture around us. Can I say, it's not automatic that we're going to live up to the glory that God has for us. If you're like me, we have to put a bit of effort in, say effort. And what Paul does is he unpacks in verses 17 to 19, you can read it in your daily studies this week, just how awful life outside of Christ is. And then he does two things to help us get free and stay free. How many want to get free and stay free? If you respond to the message today, you can walk in a new dimension of freedom in your life. He says two things. Number one, he reminds them of who they are, their identity, that's the message of transform life. He says, basically, you have a new life, but he doesn't leave it there. He then goes on and says, therefore, live the new life. It's the first thing he says, that know that you are new. Can you say that together? Know that you are new. That relates to what we looked at a few weeks ago. Do you remember Lion King? Simba, remember who you are. And it's amazing to me that Paul doesn't just start with practical instructions. I started with a practical example of putting effort in. But Paul doesn't start with willpower. Do you know why? Because willpower alone very often will lead to defeat, not victory. Have you ever found that? Have you ever tried to overcome something in your life in your own strength? I've used this as an example Uh, Before, but I remember before I became a Christian at the age of 12 or 13, I was not born again. I was in a religious phase and I tried to stop swearing in my strength. And what happened? I started swearing more because I had no power to change. And what Paul does is he wants to remind the Christians then, he wants to remind us now, you have the power to change. You don't have to stay stuck In that habit or that sin, you have the power to change. Notice what he says. He says, um, he points to their early experience of when they became Christians. He says, you don't have to continue to live that way. Why? He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In other words, something happened to you that means that you don't have to continue living the way you are because you've ma- been made gloriously new. Amen. And Paul is saying again, it's like there's almost a bit of a stuck record here. It's almost like he can't go on to talk about the practice until he's taught them the doctrine again. How many know we have to have our minds renewed if we want to stay free? And so what he wants to say is, I want to remind you again. <laughs> know that you are new. And then he goes on, and this is going to be the basis of our memory verses. Um, the, we're going to select from it because I'm kind and I didn't want you to have to learn three verses. We've done selections from verses 22 and 24. Let me read this. And hopefully the memory bit of the, the verses for this week are in capitals. It says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self. Can we say that together? Put off your old self. Then he continues. This old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to, let's say this together, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And here he uses a particular image, not of gardening, but of two garments. Two garments. And he says, it was like before you became a Christian, you had on a dirty old decaying garment. How many think this is a pretty horrible coat? If you got near me, you'd know because it stinks. <laughs> and he's saying that before you became a Christian, I want to use a picture to describe what your life before Christ was like. It's, he says, the old self which is not just something actually we wore, but it's something through sin that permeated every fiber of our being. He said, right through your life, there was corruption. And some of you say, well, I wasn't that bad. No, outwardly, people look differently. But can I say, sin is the same for everybody. Whether someone is outwardly respectable or outwardly li- living an obviously dissolute life, Paul says, you had a former way of life that's been corrupted. And he uses the picture of an old garment to describe what he says the old self, the old selfish, rebellious self that was separated from God, that had an eternal destiny away from him, that was enslaved, that was bound. That's the bad news. And he wants to remind the christians then and the holy spirit wants to remind us today if you are a believer here something happened god did a work in you but we had to at our conversion cooperate with the spirit's work so he says what you did is you put off your old self we use words like repentance you turn away from the old and you shun it you put it off and at the same time he says you put on a new person, or a new self. How many think that's a bit better? Smarten up a bit. And he says, there's something glorious about this new self. It's not a little bit like the other one. It's not God just came and asked you to morally improve a little bit. He said, through your cooperation with the spirit, an old person was cast off an old, deceitful self, selfish at the, the core, was put off, and you put on a new garment, a new person in Christ, and listen to the description of this. The new self I love this created to be like God. Wow. The old self was being corrupted. The new self is created. Spiritually in the image of God. And then he says, he describes it, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And Paul is saying something glorious has happened to you. And something glorious will happen to you if you're not yet a Christian. When you become a Christian, it is the most glorious transformation that can ever take place. No other philosophy, no other religion, no other moral code, no other pull-your-socks-up kind of doctrine will do it. God does a glorious transformation in us. He takes out the old and he clothes us with a new. Except again, this is just a picture because the new just isn't on the outside. The new is on the inside. And Paul basically says, know that you are new. What did we look at three weeks ago? Remember who you are. You are royalty. So that's the foundation. But of course Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with just reminding us again of the glory of the transformed life, the glory of the new creation. But it's so important that we remember that. A couple of weeks ago, and I honestly can't remember what the issue was, but I was aware that I was battling with a particular attitude. I don't know if it was a temptation or spiritual attack. I just know. And immediately I felt the Holy Spirit reminding me of a scripture I learned when I first became a Christian. Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, old man. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in that instance, it was the revelation of my new identity that just seemed, I suddenly thought, no, it's about Jesus. I have a new person and a new power living in me. I don't have to deal with that. That old self has gone. The old me has been crucified with Christ. I have a new life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. See how freeing this is? But he doesn't stop there and neither was. Must we stop though? He doesn't stop with a reminder of the transformed life. He goes on to this whole theme that we're looking at and is now almost the focus of the rest of the epistle. From verse 25, he goes on to basically say, Now, live like you're new. Say this with me. Know that you're new? Live like you're new. You see, there's one sense in which the putting off. And the putting on is a one-time experience. You can't get born again, again. But there's another sense in which experientially, how many of you know that? It almost seems like on a daily basis sometimes, you have to keep putting off. Or is it just me? You're looking so holy out there. <laughs> and you have to keep on putting on the new. And commentators are a bit kind of divided as to whether Paul's actually saying this is an ongoing action or this is a past work, and I think it's both. And sandwiched in between, verse 22, put off the old, verse 24, put on the new, is an interesting little verse that is in the present continuous. In other words, this is something that needs to go on and is going on all the time. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your... So you're saved... But how do you know there's a little chappy up here who needs being renewed? You're new on the inside, but your mind, by the Holy Spirit, it's not all our work, but we have to cooperate with the Spirit and we have to renew our minds. What are we doing right now in this second? Hopefully, our minds are being renewed by the Spirit and the truth. See, if it was all done, we wouldn't need our minds to be renewed. But there's something about ongoing daily application of truth. That's why please never get bored of us saying daily devotions. Read your Bible, pray in the Spirit, re transform living, memorize the verses, come to church, get into life group, get the word in you, because none of us, not even the most holy and long standing Christians, in Kingsgate have arrived, we're all on a journey. We still have a work that God wants to do because although, if you like, potentially and spiritually I'm already new, there are still aspects of my life that need to be renewed and so there's a sense in which I have to keep clothing myself with Christ as Romans 13 says and I keep having to shun this old man. And it's almost like Paul's saying, this is your former way of life. You've been made new. Don't put this dirty old thing again. Don't clothe yourself with that again. I mean, it looks disgusting. I'm not even wearing it properly. <laughs> but it's, it's messing up with the, this clean, glorious. And Paul's saying, Don't live like that. Don't go back to that. Can I say, if every Christian on planet Earth could just live in the light of this simple truth, I tell you, we'd have global revival. If we could all realize how glorious our new life is in Christ and actually say, right, for the rest of my life, I'm going to make an absolute decision and determination, so help me God, that the rest of my life, I want to live to please the one who has saved me. And I don't want anything to do with this dirty old life. But he doesn't stop there. He says, keep putting off. Keep clothing yourself with Christ. But then he gets really practical. And you see, the fact that he gets practical means that we need him to get practical. (laughs) And so I'm just leaving it general. He actually articulates some of the areas that we may struggle with. And in this passage, there are five kind of areas that we'll look at briefly. And then next week, there'll be a continuation of some of these same themes. And so the list I'm about to give you is not not the only things we need to attend to, but for some reason, Paul thinks, these are pretty high on God's agenda. And interestingly, if we look at the list in just a moment, we'll see that all of them essentially are about relationships. Where have we just been over the last couple of weeks? What's Paul's number one concern been? He starts with, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love. Then what was his concern? Memory verse for week one. Make every effort to keep the... Unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And even last week when we're looking at ministry, it's with the goal that we need to be united. We need to be one. And so there's a passion from the Spirit. Get rid of stuff that's not just going to harm and hinder you, but it's going to mess up the unity of the body. Because we are, let me remind you, we're on holy ground here. We're talking about the body of Jesus Christ son of god lord of all and the power of a unified mat- growingly mature church is something that's glorifying to god isn't that brings absolute terror i believe to the enemy and it's a wonderful, glorious sign and wonder of the world. That's why Paul's so passionate. It's not just if you do these things, you'll have a better life. Although I want to tell you, going God's way is always best. Because we were fitted for this. That no longer fits me. This suits me. And it suits you too. Women, please think of a dress if that helps you. So let's quickly look at the practical areas. The uh, five areas. First one is this. That notice most of them have contrast. He says, Don't lie. Speak the interesting he starts there. Why does he start with lies and truth? Well, if you think about where deception comes in its, or, in its origins, we have a deceiver, the enemy. He is called Jesus calls him the Father of lies." And right through the, the text we've just read, Paul is saying there's something about that stinking old man that is characterized by deception. And he's saying, "It's part of your past. It's no longer part of you. Lying is no longer in accordance with your new nature. You've been born again of the spirit of truth. You've received the word of truth. You serve the one who said, excuse me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's saying, get rid of lies, speak the truth. But notice again his motivations, very strong. Why are we to do that? Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are members of one body. How many know, those of you who are married, that if you're not bringing truth, not speaking truth, you're not going to have much oneness? Same in the body of Christ. Paul is passionate. Don't let lying have any part of your life speak the truth. Why? Because we want to be united and powerful in Christ as one body. Second contrast. Second is don't sin in your anger says, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold, verse 26. This is a quote from the Old Testament. Literally, it's be angry and sin not. Now, can I just say, this is not a prohibition against <clears throat> all kinds of anger. How many know there is a righteous anger? Sometimes, and John Stott in his commentary on Ephesians almost says, I think, Sometimes, as Christians, we need to get a bit more angry against injustice. But that's not really what this passage is. Paul's not primarily concerned, saying, make sure you're righteously angry. He's warning us that normally, let's be honest, how many of you just say that most of the time you get angry, not about injustice, because you're just narked? Or is it just me? You just get irritated. In other words, there's something about anger. It's almost like we can't handle it. If you hold on to offense and anger, it starts bringing damage. That's why he he uses this example of don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Some couples often apply that literally. (laughs) Deal with it before, before, before you go to bed. Sort something out. But more broadly, it's saying, don't let anger fester. Because what will happen if we do? We can open the door to the devil. The word there, foothold, is the word in the Greek. It's topos, from which we get our word topography, meaning a place. In other words, he's saying, don't give the devil a place. This is remarkable to me. He's saying to born-again Christians, new creations, he says, don't give the devil a place. How many don't want the devil to have a foothold in your life? How many don't want the devil to have a foothold in your marriage or in, in your life group, in your relational circle? Well, let's not let unresolved anger have its place. Let's shut the door to it in Jesus' name. It's part of the old, not part of the new. Number three. Don't steal, but work to give. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Those who've been reading Transformed Living will know that <clears throat> right at the top of my favorite films is Les Miserables. And so Karen and I in the summer, we treated each other to a joint birthday present. We went to the West End and we watched the show. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Emily, our daughter, spoke to Karen. She said, did dad cry? She said, yes, all the way through. I mean, it's, it's a stunning story. It's a beautiful, it's, it's got lots of romance in it, but it's also a wonderful picture of divine grace at work. And I won't <laughs> tell you the whole story because we'll be here for hours, but basically I think the central point of the story is when the, the hero, Jean Valjean, <clears throat> who's had a, history of stealing, steals again from a kindly bishop. And the bishop not only forgives him, but he actually gives him stuff that he hadn't even taken. And that extraordinary act of generosity and grace turns around this slightly twisted man and he says, right, for the rest of my life, he shuns stealing, he starts working hard He builds a great business, and here's the punchline. He uses his wealth to help others. I was thinking about that. You couldn't get a a better picture here of what Paul's saying. Firstly, he's saying don't steal, and some of you are thinking, yeah, well, well, you know, I'm not stealing. And surely Paul must be talking about obvious theft here in part, burglary, shoplifting, and he's saying don't do that anymore if that's what you used to do. But I think if we if we allow the spirit to search our hearts, we need to recognize that there are less obvious, maybe more common forms of stealing. Borrowing stuff at work and not returning it. Not being totally upfront about taxes and withholding from authorities. And Paul's saying, that's part of your old life. It's gone very quiet in this meeting. That's part of your new life. He's saying don't don't steal any longer, but he's almost saying do the opposite. Don't be a somebody who takes illegitimately. Use the gifts that God has given you to work. Let me just put a rider. Many of you are working. Unpaid, doing amazing things like looking after young children, some of you are not able to work. But Paul's basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing, if you can work, make sure you work. Earn money. But I think it's extraordinary. He doesn't say earn money so that you can meet your own needs, although how many know that God gives us work and we make money and he gives the gifts and the talents so that we can put, as it were, food on our table. Work's a good thing, it's a God-given thing. Sometimes tough, but it's a God-given thing. But what's the motivation for shunning, stealing, and working? It's to be what? A giver. How contrary to this old life is generosity? There's something about the new life in Christ that is a generous life. I know about you, I want to grow in being more like God who's ultimately generous I want to grow in generosity thank God for tithing thank God for offerings I want my heart to become more and more like Christ and I want to be proactive and front foot and grow in a lifestyle of generosity because I want to live like I'm new number four he talks here about words don't speak evil speak what is good Uh, verse uh, 30 do not let any say any Wow, that's a challenge. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. Say helpful. What is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And about you, if I wasn't seriously challenged by now, this verse... Don't let, he's saying, a single word come out of your mouth that is unhelpful. Is it just me or is that kind of challenging? And it would be impossible if we weren't new. It would be impossible if we didn't have the Holy Spirit in our lives. But guess what we do? And so I believe that we can train our tongues to speak Words that are not, and the word unwholesome is rotten, corrupt. How many know that gossip is corrupt words? Slander is corrupt. When we first became Christians, the Holy Spirit took Karen and myself on a journey of watching our words. Fast forward 33 years. As I get into the word like this, I'm like, God, I want to do some fresh business. I want to be somebody who doesn't let any unwholesome word come out of my mouth. I want my words to be helpful. You know that your words have great power. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I want to guard my lips. Think about a church where everyone was guarding what they say everyone was watching their words and everyone was saying, Holy Spirit, will you help me? And why do I say the Holy Spirit? Because I think the punchline of this verse, and in one sense, the punchline of this whole passage, and and for me, the ultimate motivation for why we're to do all this, it is to live in the light of the new, but it's this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You see, God... Is a holy God all through the Bible, it's clear. But in the Old Testament, it was primarily holiness that was, if you like, instituted through law and law keeping. Here, there's an even higher motivation in the New Testament. Thank God we're not under law, we're under grace. But that doesn't diminish the need to walk holy, it means that now our lives have been changed. We have a new power, and our motivation is not about law-keeping. It's about honoring the loving Holy Spirit who's come on the inside of us, who's our best friend, who's decided to be with us for eternity. And my appeal to you, because it's my personal passion, don't grieve this wonderful Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God who's come on the inside of you. See, the Holy Spirit's not just a power. He's not just a feeling. He's not just, although he is, someone who helps us in life. He's a real person. He has things he likes. He has things he dislikes. I know what he doesn't like. He doesn't like if and when I ever speak unkindly or unhelpfully about other people. So will you join me, church, in a journey of saying, Lord, help me be more sensitive to you. And there's a right sense of the fear of the Lord, not unholy fear, but the fear of the Lord, respect and honor for the one who lives on the inside of us. But then just in case we get a little bit, oh dear, He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is not a message of insecurity. It's because you're loved. Because you are his for eternity. Live in the light of your new identity. Honor the one who's come on the inside of you and cooperate with him. You can live differently because you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Amen? And then the final summary verse that we could spend a whole message on and I'm going to spend about a minute on is this, don't be bitter or angry. He returns to anger again. But be kind, compassionate and forgiving. Listen to this list of, it's almost a summary verse of attitudes we need to get rid of and actions and words. Get rid, say get rid. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. How many know that forgiveness is absolutely central to what it means to live the new life? If we want to get free and stay free, if we want to honor Christ, if we want to honor one another, we've got to keep forgiving just as in Christ God forgave us. I'm kind of glad he ends there. There's an overflow as we'll see next week into chapter five, verse one and two. But I'm glad he ends up on the note of forgiveness because I'm sure as you've been listening to this (laughs) and as I've been preparing this, how many say there might just be one little thing or two that the Holy Spirit's finger on? And the goal is not to go down a plug hole of condemnation. The goal is say, I receive it, Lord. I want to come to your altar. I want to come before your throne. I want you to freshly cleanse me. I repent, set me free. And I don't want to choose to live differently. We've talked a lot about the two garments. Can I return as I close to the garden? Paul's saying, God has done a glorious makeover in your life spiritually. Look at it. Look how glorious you are in Christ, created to be like him in true righteousness and holiness. But because you need your mind to be renewed, because 21st century, and probably no different to there then, you're being bombarded by a culture that's telling you live differently all the time. you've got to make some choices. You've got to keep getting rid of stuff. There's some weeds around. They try and land.'ve got to get them out quickly. There may be some dandelion-like weeds that you've got to do a bit of work at. Can I say this is not just a Sunday message? (laughs) This is a Monday through Sunday message. And my prayer is that all week as we dig into the Word, we'll say, Holy Spirit, come come and help me dig out stuff. And then we need to partner with the Spirit and sow to the good things of God. How many want the beauty of your new life in Christ to affect every area of your life and lifestyle. If so, let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Thank you, Lord, that when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. I pray for a deep cleansing and transforming work this Sunday and in the coming weeks. Do a new thing in my life. Do a new thing in every single one of us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.